What's your take on the the rise of um, mental illness in the United States and a lot of the Western developed countries? It seems that there's more depression and anxiety, especially amongst the youth um, compared to previous generations. Is that a misnomer or are there some factors that that you attribute that to? Um, it's always been there a lot of times, particularly if you're kind of different, you know, if you were captain of the football team or the cheerleader squad or whatever, you know, if you had a niche, but even when I was growing up, if you didn't fit the popular group, you know, mercilessly were uh, culled from that community. Um, now, I think what happens is because of all the online activity, um, there's a greater tendency for you to judge yourself against the superficial image of another person who's looking good on Facebook. And, um, and that the amount of, you know, we had best friends as kids where we would go out hours and hours and talk that now might be FaceTime that's not as, in, as enriching. So I think things are more isolated and uh, things are more intense and moving fast. Some of that can mean that I can have an idea as a 13-year-old teenage kid, and by the end of the weekend, I'm a millionaire. You know? Right. Um, where there's options open, uh, but this explosion of information has um, um, got two sides of that coin. Uh, because it's not an explosion of knowledge or wisdom necessarily. But right now we're even having trouble figuring out what's real and not real. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, um, and, and that back in the fifties and the sixties, I'm sure that the well-respected news broadcasters also were biased and all, but you had some sense of scientific fact as real um, and and a greater sense of what you're being told is somewhere in the neighborhood you could you, you didn't have so many stories to choose from so i think your the younger generations there's, there's high challenges and high opportunities um you know um the connectivity is awesome now to um uh, but that that choice that you make of uh, moving to okay, what can I do to can be constructive and join people around the world? Um, that's that's where it gets kind of interesting. Um, I think also, you know, when we were kids, um, it would be a real big deal if somebody showed you a joint. Uh, my kids now are in their 30s and late 20s. Um, in even grade school, there was hard drugs. Um, yeah. And um, that takes you on a whole different path, you know. Um, and, and so some of the things we did that were constructive, uh, like Boy Scouts or sports teams or um, 4-H clubs and those kind of things may not be as commonly uh, done now. There is, you know, plenty of um, youth activities, but it seems to me that less of a percentage, you know, find a niche there.
What are, what are, what are some of the, the, you know, I, I have friends and I've known people that had problems with, with drugs and, and addiction. And it, it seems that there are specific qualities that a person who really is able to kick it and never go back has, whereas the person who's still struggling with it year after year going on into decades, there, there seems to be a difference between these two types of two types of people. Why is it that some people, as much as they want to stop, they're just not able to stop? And other people, as soon as the doctor says, you have another drink, you're done. Your life is over. They quit and it's over. Mm-hmm. Um, from the people you've worked with over the years, uh, what's what are your thoughts on that? Why well, can't some... I think man, women, men and womankind, <clears throat> as humans, we have a natural need, desire, and it would be good for us to transcend normal consciousness. Hmm. And it could be uh, in the past through dancing and drumming or whatever. Okay. Some of the drugs now that are out there um, play on that tendency in a way that's too hard on the physiology. <clears throat> so, for example, using cocaine, uh, fries receptors that makes it a lot harder than to experience joy and things even years later. Um, the folks I see who tend to um, kick it find something of meaning greater than themselves. That could be AA type of, you know, God greater than self, but it also could be the cause of helping others not to be on drugs or volunteering at a pet shelter. Somehow they're able to make the leap to, to, um, to finding meaning. Um, <clears throat> and, um, uh, but I'm, I'm pretty much, you got to be humble like that story of my mom's Alzheimer's in that I think there may be some genetic predispositions and there's definitely stuff where there's data that would say if there's one person in your youth, it could be a teacher who um, really values you and supports you, you're going to have a lot better chance through life, including kicking drugs, than if you don't. And so if you had disinterested parents or parents too involved in their own conflicts or making money or having addictions of their own or whatever, and you didn't find that one teacher or the Boy Scout leader, whoever it was, um, I think you may not be approaching it with the same resources as somebody. Um, That said, you know, good drug treatment is probably twenty, thirty thousand a month, private usually, not covered by insurance. But if you go to a good drug treatment place, regardless of what you've had in the past, they're good at helping you find a place in which to value yourself. And so, folks that spend you know three months in a fancy place, um, it gives them a real shot. Wow. Um, you know, below that can be like going to a methadone clinic for heroin and that they part of that as a counselor once a week and they bond with an individual. Um, Part of that can be other things. But, um, you know, I'd be interested in your input. Do you see a difference between those who make it and don't in terms of kicking um, in your generation? Yeah, just... 
seems if you had two parents that loved you, even if you get into drugs, a lot of those people seem to get out of it. Okay. But um, if those risk factors, uh, adverse childhood experiences, if those, the higher those numbers are, the less likely it is um, amongst the people that, that I've seen. And it's also the case that if the use was so intense that it, there's some kind of like mental fracture that can happen where they're just not really the same, especially with psychedelic use. And mm-hmm. I have seen that. Um, I know it's a very, there's a lot of promising research coming from psychedelics and I know it helps a lot of people. And I want to ask your theory on why some people can take ayahuasca and ibogaine and suddenly they're healed of these, these addictions. But I've seen the, the bad side, the dark side of it mm-hmm. where my friends were never the same afterwards yeah. ended up totally losing it. It was really mm-hmm. unfortunate. So what's what's your take on why some of these medicines work so well? Do you have a theory? Uh, you know, right now, you know, first of all, there's true shamans and people that aren't. But are saying, yeah, I love I love that you're saying that. That's and, totally and the quality of the thing and the the setting. And my experience sometimes, for example, ayahuasca has helped somebody open up. In our day, it was LSD. Um, mushrooms, psilocybin, that kind of thing. Um, but w- what I've seen more commonly if people do it repeatedly is at some point they seem to go into a deep depression and have trouble digging back out. I have seen people dig out, but it can be some years. Um, again, those are very powerful psychoactive substances that would tend to burn out, in my opinion, some of the dopamine systems of the brain, the serotonin, norepinephrine, all the interactions of that delicate chemistry. Um, And so um, I would sincerely hope a grandchild that I have now that my grandkids are three and four years old uh, would not go that route, but they would go like the Monroe Institute route where you can get very quote high, meaning in ecstasy states, expanded awareness states without doing the physical damage and in fact probably doing physical improvement because we can measure people who use hemisync or these meditative systems um, after three months or so if you put them on cat scan or eg um, their brains look like they have more synchrony more balanced hemispheres better connections between the hemispheres are able to get into meditative states more easily, handle stress better. Um, you know, so the drugs that we are talking about is kind of a negative cycle. You can get a positive cycle doing some of this. Um, but um, that desire to go beyond what you're feeling as an 18-year-old adolescent or a 25-year-old or a 30-year-old, I think is a natural and good desire to expand. Uh, beyond you know yourself um, and uh, the availability unfortunately of some of the drugs now is such that um, it, that can be a route that is very appealing but may not take you where you want to go <laughs> I agree with you I, yeah. I really agree with you I know it helps helps a lot of people but I think um, the dangers aren't, aren't talked about enough actually mm-hmm. and with You've been in this game for so long, so I, I could ask you this. Would you say some people say there's no negative side effects of meditation? Uh, I disagree. I <laughs> I really do. Have you seen 
Um, what have you seen as far as long-term meditation is concerned? Um, well, I think there there can be what a person will label as a negative effect. Interesting. For, first of all, say I'm in, uh, I'm going along uh, pretty unaware, going through my job and come home, and I'm reasonably happy because I'm getting a salary increase every two years. And the house or the car is getting nicer. But I go into meditation and that self-awareness, I realize that this job is like tin or golden or copper or silver handcuffs. And now I'm depressed because I realize I'm quote trapped in my job. And as I have the guts to make a change that is fear producing, that could be the same, you know, I was with the same, uh, life partner, you know, from 18 to 25, and now we've grown apart a bit, but we have kids to face that and decide whether to repair that relationship, to be really honest how you're feeling in the relationship, or to end it. Uh, people are better at starting something than they are ending it. It's easier to buy a stock than sell it, get married than divorced, start a job than leave it. Um, and meditation can bring up where you are stuck. So that's one effect. You cannot guarantee the person is going to be happier from meditating, at least in the short term. Um, some people with the, not having that grounding we talked about, that desire to escape gets to be so strong that they um, are in a meditative state or a spacey non-here state for more than five, 10 hours a day. And mm -hmm. um, they begin to lose ability to be here. And I think we're here for reasons um, that um, that could be an effect. But in large, by and large, aside from that, I've seen meditation as positive. Right, but absolutely. I, I would not say to a person, hey, take a Monroe course and expect everything to be the same when you finish as when you started, except happier. It's going to bring up also um, areas where you need some growth, things you need to have forgiven, uh, whatever it might be. And uh, depending on, on the courage you have, you can either, now I'm aware I'm not happy, but I'm too afraid to change. Um, but usually it works out. <laughs> uh, have you ever had a um, type of Dark Knight of the Soul, St. John of the Cross period in your life? On the spiritual journey, yeah, younger, definitely. Um, I think at my darkest, though, when I thought, um, "What of all this could possibly be real?" Um, I had a knowing that love is real. Uh, anything else, whether it's life after death, whether you know you should play by the rules, whether. You know, people are being to be trusted or whether whatever it is, everything would be up for grabs in the dark night. But I, I kept there was this beacon of feeling that love was real. I had 30 years of depression in my life. We ran in my family. Um, not only my brother who suicided. So from five years old on, I had this paradox of some ecstasy states but a lot of times depression. For me, fortunately, in my 30s, that began to lift when I uh, got in touch with the Monroe Institute and this meditative stuff. 
But for a good while, it was, you know, do I slip my throat or get out of bed? And a feeling of will to put one foot in front of the other uh, through uh, a lot of the time and, and faking doing okay, you know. Um, because um, even like now, there, there's still, there was stigma then to say, you know, I'm struggling, need some help. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, some people put this in old soul form versus young soul. I don't know about that uh, nomenclature, but using it as a model, there seems to be um, more likelihood with more and more experience in this life or other lives too, that one might have a well of strength to draw on during those really dark times that does pull. Um, other people are better than I am at surrendering, you know, and they kind of surrender to something good. They surrender to, you know, finding Jesus or finding God or, or surrendering to another person's care and love, to, um, to uh, allowing a group to help them, um, surrendering some of their ego needs to see what else could be there where they might contribute. Um, and so, like you said, there's all these factors, genetic, uh, family, ancestry. Um, my wife uh, has been in working in a cancer process the last few years, and she's doing really well, clear scans now for a couple of years. Wow, but fantastic. It, it did send her on a journey looking at her past, ancestors and her her parents were Russian immigrants who met in a refugee camp in Austria. Uh, they had families before that disappeared during the war. Uh, it was very heavy energy. And as she does the ancestral work, it looks like that may even be coded kind of in our DNA when there's trauma, uh, like a big war. And that, that that's passed to our kids genetically even and to our grandkids. And my f personal philosophy of healing is we heal, we can heal at seven generations backward and forward that some people talk about. And there are actually energy healers that work on that to um, try to rearrange things at the genetic level. Um, so, I, you know, I, I think the world is a miracle, a miracle of the human hand, just, you know, and if Miraculous. you're surrounded by miracles, you can create miracles of PK, miracles of healing, miracles of manifestation. If you see yourself living in miracle space, if instead you feel your beliefs are that we are just 98 cents worth of chemicals and there's no meaning and it's survival of the fittest, you know, those things will drag your energy down. Um, the latest um, information in biology is because of how organisms share genetic information that the nature's prime directive is for the good of all. But we were taught in school survival of the fittest. That's a very different paradigm in which to build a society. And your younger generation than I am, uh, you're on the cusp, I think, of shifting. Uh, the survival of the fittest is going to kill us for the good of all could make this planet a paradise over time. And um, so I would expect your generations to be even more uncomfortable uh, 
in terms of not just don't who am I, but who are we, <laughs> you know, as a society. Um, but I think you're up for it. Oh, absolutely. We're up, we're up for it. I wanted to ask you about uh, Bob Monroe. I, I, yeah. Crazy as this sounds, I just read uh, the Journeys trilogy about three weeks ago. And wow, those last two books, Far Journeys and Ultimate Journeys, were probably some of the really, really up there with some of the best spiritual yeah. work I've ever read in my life. I was just absolutely blown away. Mm. He talks about, um, I remember Bob Monroe talked about meeting his, as if his higher self was a specific committee. At some point in his journey, yeah. he begins to go inward, gets under the hood of this force mm -hmm. that led to his out-of-body experiences. And he ends up meeting this committee of higher selves that are also him. Yeah. He calls it, I think, the I there clusters. Mm -hmm. Are are these are these realities, dimensions, aspects of ourselves accessible to most people that take these courses at the Monroe Institute? I mean, someone goes into Star Lines or one of these higher courses. Does this does this actually happen to a yeah, large number I'd of people? Say, you know, Gateway is the premier course, the first one most people take. And probably 90% of people are better get their minds blown right in there as one of the most profound weeks of their life. And that program is now offered virtually. I've done six of them in the last three months. Not six of them, three of them in the last three months of Gateway. Um, and uh, Bob first felt that he, he contacted a guide that he called his inspect, intelligent species was his wording, and then learned later that the guy was himself, if you will, more developed at a higher self level. Um, he called this committee that you're calling, he called it the XCOM, um, executive committee that it seemed like several life personalities in his eye there, meaning all the lives he's lived, were particularly interested in this incarnation as well as brought in traits in this incarnation as builder and artist and things that he used in this. The nice thing about Bob Monroe is this is all in Western languaging um, and quite accessible uh, versus some of the Eastern religion. Things are wonderful, but it's hard to read the Upanishads in the original. Um, exactly. Let alone the translated ones. Um, so it is a, it, it he, he has set up a technology to go to the different altered states of consciousness, just starting with body very, very relaxed and the mind still aware, where the body could be so relaxed that your body is asleep. You can hear yourself snoring, yet you're um, conscious. And we can see that on an EKG where it's a sleep pattern, uh, where a sleep specialist looks at that and says that person's asleep, but they're talking. To a, to a monitor saying, I'm experiencing connection with my higher self or whatever, to these states free of time, to states where you uh, begin to um, leave the physical dimensions and go into the non-physical. And um, most people get there quite easily um, with one program, maybe two or three, depending on the person and how high you want to go. But um, it is very accessible the most. My daughter took it as a teen gateway when she was 14, 15, and 16, three years in a row. So teenagers even, uh, they can eat this up 
And uh, her main challenge is she didn't want to share it with her friends because she didn't want them to think she was, as she put it, a granola bar. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, we can, we can access those. And, and some of this is what people do experience in ayahuasca or LSD or the heavy psychedelics of a, a dissolution of the boundary of individual. To me, we are all oneness, and all time and every event is right here now, simultaneous. And then from that, if we want to have experience, we have to adopt illusion. The first illusion we adopt is we are separate. Then we might adopt the illusion of time and space. And then we may adopt other ones to have a linear experience. Um, and But those illusions, you know, you can... You can move into meditative states where you see them as um, valuable. On a science basis, you know it. You know, the room you're sitting in and my two is 99.99% nothing. And um, we are, if you look at time being all the time on Earth, being the tallest skyscraper, all of recorded history would be one millimeter of paint on top of it. And yet we feel we have this long life and we're fairly large, well, you know, there's clouds in space that are 12 and a half trillion light years across. So we are tiny, tiny, and we're here for a tiny amount of time. And look at the rich experience we can have by forming these illusions of solidity, linearity, time, space. Um, so all that in the Monroe programs, uh, even the, you know, the, the syncreation course I have, home study things, you can begin to tap into this and um, and see, you know. So the home study course, we did a survey of 60 people, and I think, you know, 20, 20 of them started spontaneously lucid dreaming, being, being aware of and consciously affecting their dreams. Uh, almost 100% met guides and angels and ancestors and unborn children. We were able to talk to them and communicate. Uh, these lines, the veils are very thin now between physical and non-physical, and here and there. Um, and so these meditative systems can really get you in touch with that pretty easily. Would, would you say after, so I'm sure you've known lots of very developed meditators and people who are masters at going out of body, yourself, you're, you're a master with PK. Would you say there's anything different about the J. Krishnamurtis and the Eckhart Tolls and the people who describe this kind of, they describe an enlightenment that occurs in comparison to people who didn't have an experience like that? Um, I love J. Krishnamurti, I think. It's, Incredible guy. I never understand what the hell he was saying, pardon the French. And yet I would feel different after reading one page, you know, and I would feel somehow expanded. Um, Eckhart Tolle sat on a bench for a couple of years after getting this thing going. Um, the I think there's there's millions of people who are more conscious now, and some choose to write about it, some don't. Um, and um, I don't. I think that this is available to ordinary people. There's something we call remote viewing, which is able to see anything or perceive anything without regard to time or distance. 
So if I looked at the the uh, metal rod above the window in the background in your place with remote viewing, if a person remote viewer wanted to, he could target in there and tell you who smelt the metal and how many kids they had to make the thing. You know, all information. If a person takes a remote viewing course, say through Monroe Institute, um, and they have some success at identifying things that they should know nothing about, it expands the mind. If you can bend the fork, it expands the mind. If you have a meditation where you get in touch with um, guidance messages that then are verified when you come back into the physical. Um, and that's one of the neat things now, I think, that uh, we can, we can uh, tie this to what's going on and get some verification more easily than, say, Christian Meridi did. Um, if, and whether that was important to him or not, I think he just knew he had the knowing. Um, I don't know if that answers. That's my best I can do it. Oh, that, 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 was, that was a great answer. Um, do, you, do you actually have a, an ability that you'd say is your favorite? Because I, I think, you do you teach the remote viewing courses there? Because I know you teach Gateway, um, MC Squared, but do you teach remote viewing as well? I teach uh, Gateway, MC Squared. I also teach Lifeline, which is that program of soul rescue, something called Exploration 27, which is going even higher into the other life states and into a level in Bob Monroe's terms would be 34, 35, where you begin to get in touch with extraterrestrial intelligence and things. Um, and uh, I do not teach the remote viewing there. Remote viewing is a term that you're using what we would call clairsentience, all-knowing, but in a scientific protocol, four-way double-blinded, you know, experimental protocol, you put it in remote viewing. On the clairsentience thing, um, I've had some pretty nice hits. Like uh, a friend of mine uh, has a child who is a uh, uh, Down syndrome child and dear to my heart. And I there in uh, Minnesota and um, I'm in North Carolina and I got a call that their cat was missing. And... Uh, she was all upset that her that her cat, her pet was missing. And so I just checked in with spirit, if you want. Cat alive or dead, I got alive. Up, outside in, I got in. Uh, up or down, I'd never seen their house, but I got down. Uh, then my ego came in, said, under the bed, nope, this and that. And then I got an image of a heating duct. So I called them back and said, look in the basement in the heating duct, and the cat was there. You know, so... That could be a remote viewing target in a science science protocol, but it also could be in the in the psychic sense. Um, and these programs like the Home Studies and Creation, MC Square, Gateway, all these things we're talking about tend to activate these for people, different ones for different people. So somebody might get in touch with something you could call channeling, where they're bringing in a lot of information from spirit. Somebody else, they might be very interested in the remote viewing or the psychokinesis, um, out of body, as you mentioned, another thing. Out of body is not necessary for enlightenment, but it's a really cool thing to do. Uh, you can also sit in your room lazily and say, love pierces any veil and get in touch with any dimension without leaving your body. And um, so. Whoa, those are some magic words. Love pierces any veil. 
Yeah. It's powerful. Yeah. So um, for me, out of body is a continuum for classic out of body where you have a, a body made of energy and you can put your hand through a wall and feel the studs to a more etheric travel where you're sort of a globe of energy to mental travel where you're a point of consciousness and a point really has no dimensions. We symbolize it by a dot, you know, but, and, uh, and people can learn to be on that dimension of all those three kinds, if you will, of uh, Bob called it out of phase, uh, out of body travel of one sort or another. So um, uh, these are accessible. Um, In Lifeline, uh, one of the programs you, you teach where you're uh, retrieving other aspects of yourself, is all of that actually happening out of body? You're, the, no. the separation has occurred. No, really. No. So again, that could be the love pierces any veil. Um, so say after 9-11, right? There were many lifeline graduates around the world who felt the event happened before, you know, they were told on the news and felt drawn to go help. And above the World Trade Center saw this vortex of thousands of spiritual beings helping people with the transition and participating with that while they were continuing here to have their lunch or whatever they were doing, okay? So you can begin to have awareness about being here and also being in touch with spirit very strongly and communicate to um, there. So, uh, you know, I was in a shower one time, a guy up in Monroe was trying to contact his wife who had died and was not having luck. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll see if I can help. And I forgot about it. Next day in the shower, I'm sitting there and she comes in. So I'm showering, you know, shampoo and all that. And um, felt her presence. She was doing beautiful and great joy, sending him great love. I said, well, I would like a sign. She gave me a red and white checkered tablecloth and uh, page 238 of a particular book. <clears throat> and I uh, came back and uh, I told him about the signs. And he said, yeah, we had a picnic every Sunday on the tablecloth. And that page of that book is our favorite poem. So that verified to him I wasn't making it up. And then was able to convey to her, to him, that she loves him deeply and she's doing fine. Um, once I conveyed that to him, then he could find her, if you will, uh, in spirit. And because what was in, a, in the way of that was some subtle fear, maybe that if he found her, she wouldn't be okay or didn't want to talk to him. <coughs> Excuse me. So um, it could be, you know, it could be, you know, you're in the shower or you're sitting in meditation. You don't have to be out of body. Whoa. That's, that's, prof that's, I, I, I'm learning so much because I, I was having an impression that uh, it was like how it is in Monroe's books that he was out of phase, out of body, mm -hmm. and having these experiences with other aspects of himself. But you're saying yeah. not, not limited that's to one that. way, but not necessarily the way. And there's people, I think his name is John Anderson, and he sits there on TV and he's jotting down on a piece of paper, you know, but contacting loved ones for people in the audience. You know, and he's talking and talking about how, you know, the messages that are being transferred and things. So, um, uh, 
That said, you can be out of body, but still be operating in the physical. Bob Monroe, I think we got time for this funny story, if you will. Oh, great, he great. Was fa- he was a fast driver, but it was a great privilege to go to lunch with him or anything. So Bob Monroe came along and said, Joe, let's go to lunch. You hopped in the car. And then you prayed for your life as he drove through the country roads, talking to you and very seldom looking at the road. So Bob told this story where he was in a car with somebody and they were driving too fast for him. And he said, slow down, slow down. You know, there might be police ahead. And the guy said, oh, don't worry, Bob. I'll go out of body and check. And Bob saw the guy's body go like this a little bit, but keep driving. And the guy came back in a couple seconds and said, you know, I flew 10 miles ahead. There's no cops. Don't worry about it. Uh, We've had people report going out of body and job interviews standing behind the interviewer and watching how they're doing. Uh, So the body could still be active, but um, not necessary to be, quote, out of body in the classic way to do this kind of work. And and for the highest focus level, is it focus 49 or focus 50? Focus 49, they go in Monroe system. Right. And is that... Is the beyond the aperture point that Bob Monroe talked about a focus level or not? Um, Bob put these things in numbers because he didn't want to use words like nirvana and things like that. Um, Within Monroe's system, at 49, you would be, uh, let's say, at 35, beginning to be in touch with all of who you are up there, all your other lives. At 49, the clusters of all those associated with them and their higher selves. And then beyond that, Bob had an experience of going to what he called the great emitter. Um, the grand engineer is another way he talked about what we might say is God or source. Um, the um, Some people have gone to uh, places they call focus level praising, where everything in the universe is praising everything else. I like that one myself personally. Hmm. Um, some guy in uh, who knows math, there's a set of math numbers, infinity times infinity, that's called Aleph No. I'm not a mathematician, can't even conceive of it. But he said, let me go to focus Aleph No. And he came back looking pretty, like, well, he went way out there. Um, people will have experiences where they feel like they merge with God or see God or source or those kind of things. Um, in Monroe focus level language, there wouldn't be a number necessarily that Bob formally attached to that. But it would be the hypothesis would be that's beyond the 49 space. Um, yeah, the reason I brought it up. Is because in having our journeys and journeys, it's strikingly Buddhism. Even the the symbol of a lotus being one of the main symbols of Buddhism. There's many um, pictures of Buddha or these saints sitting on lotuses. And then Bob Monroe saying that in uh, when he was with his XCOM or in that place, mm-hmm. he could see all the eye bears, all the parallel aspects of himself as a flower and then when he goes and looks at the flower there's a face in the flower that really yeah that really blew my mind and it's strikingly similar to the other things i've read but it's all in western 
terminology, which is why it's so yeah. incredible. Well, my wife was in Starlines, which is a program to take you to 49. She was, um, they do exercises even in Gateway where you expand your awareness till you're holding the universe and physical universe in your hands is the feeling. And um, so she was in that state and said, is this all there is? And they said, no. And they represented all that as a snow globe and then an infinite sea of other snow globes. And she said, is that all there is? And she, they said, no, that's just all three-dimensional realities. And she's, and then they became a snow globe in a sea of infinite snow globes, which was n-dimensional universes, both physical and non-physical. So you can go way out there, and you can realize your consciousness can hold quite a bit of awareness of, of this. How much you can bring back and talk about without using images like snow glove is uh, right. challenging to put in language. But um, the feeling of ecstasy or elation or expansion, you come back with a knowing about that. And some knowing about things, all things being in right order. And um, people come back with a feeling that they've been to a place where they knew everything and everything was okay. But now they can't tell you one of the things they learned, but they know they knew everything for a little while in that expanded state. Bringing it back to this human brain transducer is tough. Yep, absolutely. So we we have um, a few questions uh, from some of the listeners. And let me pull it up. One of them that I'm, that I'm definitely, uh, I remember having read this. Marissa Lay, she's a younger, you know, early, early 20s person who's doing a lot of meditation and yoga, and she's mm -hmm. having people come to her for help. She lives on, on an island. Mm -hmm. And the issue she's having is she's feeling drained energetically after some of the work and conversations that she's doing. I hear this from uh, lots of people that after having done massage work or healing work that there's a there's a drain that ha that happens and it could be in relation to how negative or low vibe or sick the person they're working on is mm -hmm. how can people avoid this this drain that can happen uh, well there's a number of kinds of healing one is you take on the person's headache let's say process it through your body feel it and send it to ground i don't recommend that so much mm. um we have an image that I like that's in my Healing Heart uh, CD and download and stuff where you fill yourself to energy to overflowing, that we're infinite beings designed to bring in infinite energy directly from source. So you fill yourself with that energy, and then with the overflow, you're helping another. When you do that, you can do 10 healings in a row and have more energy at the end than when you started. Uh, some of it's the belief that you're a conduit for in infinite energy versus our usual belief that we're like a battery that discharges all day and recharges during sleep, okay? So that would make a difference, uh, her mental attitude about the healing. The other thing is if you get in hooked in ego-wise, like you're the rescuer or the savior, then you're going to hook into them energetically in a way that may be draining versus 
uh, you're sending the healing to best purpose, but you don't know what that is. And you surrender and let go, like we're talking about with PK and manifesting, uh, that you have the intent to be of healing service, and then you send the energy and let go. Great answer, by the way, especially this that part about um, if it's all about you, mm-hmm. you can actually lock onto that person in a way. Her uh, Another question she had was, um, I want to get better with helping people and putting things into words. I know meditation is the answer to everything, but I do have an issue with expectations I meet um, from from having from meeting new people um expectations of ourselves expectations of others especially from a spiritual point of view do you have any advice on how to release ourselves of that well again i'm going to go back to what i do in my home study course in creation what we do in mc squared is we have exercises to really connect directly with source and bring in the highest of energy. That's what we're designed to do as humans, but we don't usually do that, we cap that off. Then we're energy starved. And then we can get energy from other people by being the good little girl or the bad little girl, the good boy, the bad boy, um, the rescuer, the mess, some role. And when we do that, we hook into their energies and it's not as high quality. So if you're thinking, gee, what does this person expect of me or what I expect of them, you're, you're living that story of roles, most likely, versus um, connecting directly to source and then feeling the oneness with all. Um, and, you know, this is easier said than done, sure. Okay. But um, uh, you you your expectations change from being ego-based by oh i met a person like this before or they're dressed this way or they're talking loudly or whatever it is and then i have this whole story what that's going to be to having impressions of discernment through your intuitiveness through your heart that may say to you this person is asking for healing but they really don't want it or it's not going to happen, or this person is going to run a number on me in some way, um, or this person will be very good to know and will elevate my energy, or I can elevate their energy and will it'll be win-win. Um, and that could be as simple as a, a, a clerk in a grocery store as you're checking out that a smile may keep them from suicide. You don't know. But you get the you're having these intuitive hits and coming from your heart about who to send energy to or get energy from, receive energy from, and it runs differently than when you're trying to guess that through ego operations. If that makes sense. Hmm. Another question. Uh, I know we're getting close to the end of the hour, so we'll have okay. at the end of the second hour, but. Um, this one is from Robin, Robin A. Uh, what are the milestones when it comes to development and skill in meditation? I think you're in a perfect position to answer this. Um, even looking okay. back on your spiritual life, what were the markers for you? Okay. One is uh, deciding, deciding to look under the hood, this idea of deciding to look inward, 
to making a commitment to settle down and begin uh, to uh, be aware of your own consciousness. Nowadays, a lot of people do that with mindfulness meditation, but that can also be awareness of the body through the relaxation response. Um, just basic awareness beginning about your physical body, and that will extend over time to the quantum energy in every cell. But initially, it's my neck is tight, I'm going to relax it, okay? So first steps, kind of body basics, but it continues on a, a long continuum to seeing yourself in light body. Uh, your emotions would be next. What am I feeling? I'm pissed or I'm angry, I'm depressed. Then what am I feeling without judgment? Uh, and, uh, you know, because if you're depressed and then you're depressed about being depressed and anxious about being depressed and angry about being depressed, you know, all those loops stop and you're just depressed or yep. joyful or whatever. So you begin to be aware of your emotional body slowing down enough um, and then some awareness of spirit. Um, and that could be first through prayer, like the Lord's Prayer and seeing yourself as a soul. <clears throat> um, and uh, and then beginning, you know, more depth of awareness of oneness, um, your own uh, greater spiritual self, your connection with other parts of yourself that are in spirit, other spirits and guides, whatever way you might look at it. But I'd say those would be some of the deals, um, and there can be feelings of great joy on any of those um, to just realize the miracle of human breathing. Um, and But the ecstasy states start with, the ecstasy means out of self. When you begin to perceive beyond self tends to be when those, you know, really strong things happen. Other meditative systems talk about blank mind, many mm -hmm. systems. Monroe is different. Monroe has a preparation process that helps you put away any distractions and, and raise your energy. But then if something comes across your consciousness, you look at that as a message. And um, so I might be meditating in Monroe and see a little red wagon. And if I pull on that, I have the memory of being five years old in a little red wagon and the feeling of five-year-old consciousness of being totally free of responsibility and being in childlike wonder and joy. Then I can bring that back to my adult life now and say, could that be helpful raising my own kids? Okay? Mm -hmm. So in Monroe's system, you don't keep trying to get your mind blank. You start with getting rid of some distraction, but then you, whatever your consciousness presents to yourself, you look at and engage with as messages if that makes sense. Um, then in Monroe, there, there's often a stage where you would go beyond that into um, states where you're, you know, not really asking questions like, "Will I? what where should I be when I grow up? What should I do about this or that? Uh, trying to see guides, but you begin to get in touch with energy, just pure energy mm -hmm. and pure consciousness and oneness. Um, and there's a tendency to maybe float away and see the earth and even the lower, lower astral and higher astral 
spiritual systems around the earth fading away and you get to a place where you are beyond physical universes, if you will. And and again, often there, there's a oneness experience as well. Does that help at all? <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. That was that's that's the final uh, the final question from from the okay. Q and A that we have. Okay. But uh, before before we end, I I want you to share you know upcoming workshops, your website. Um, the, I know you have a home study course where people can learn PK yeah. listening to CDs. Can you share all of that? Sure. So I realized about ten minutes before the end that I could type my name in here on this new platform so that I did put my my website up there. Um, a good place to start with this would be the Liquid Luck book and CD. And if you just put it in Google Liquid Luck or liquidluckcd.com, it would come up. Um, my name is easy to spell and I, all this will come up under that too. Um, in terms of the Vegas and Inner Vegas Adventure Workshops, they're on hold until we get better hold of this COVID, which I'm hoping by spring we might start that again. My next Monroe uh, workshop will be in January, and um, I think it'll be the one of those MC Squared workshops with the psychokinesis. Um, and before that, one would take the gateway, which other trainers would train, but where they have excellent trainers there. So they could go to monroeinstitute.org and look at virtual retreat and pick up some of the gateways and MC squares. The home study has the same content as that sync as uh, the sync creation work, uh, home study has the same content as MC squared with the metal bending and the seeds growing and rolling dice and manifesting and healing and has three personal coachings with me. Uh, and that's on a special right now. We call it the COVID special because it comes with that healing heart and ocean heart exercise we mentioned, and other things that are helpful during this time. Um, so that'd be on the website and it's on special now. So that'd be some of the ways. Um, and I'm on, uh, I did, I think nine or think coast to coast shows. There's a show, New Thinking Aloud, that I have a lot of seminars on on YouTube that's free. My website itself has lots of free uh, uh, articles about PK tips, manifesting tips, healing tips that people can go and uh, take a look and get some things there free as well. When's your next virtual gateway that you are teaching? Virtual gateway, I think next fall. Okay. I'll be doing an Exploration 27, the guidelines, I think a Lifelines next year, three or four MC squares next year. Okay, but that, there's nothing virtual that you're that you're doing for Monroe in the next... Not know, until January. Okay. That's the uh, first one. Got a little time off. Awesome. Awesome. I am going to be, there's a new, there's a thing you can go to called superpowers.com. They're doing a nine-episode series on super consciousness and humans at this time. And I think I'm in uh, four or five of those episodes at least. That's coming out in January online. And um, that should be an interesting series. Uh, kind of like a what the bleep or the secret. We're hoping it'll uh, be uh, pretty popular for people to look at what is available to do now 
with intuition and creativity uh, as we're expanding our awareness. Fantastic. Joe, th this was an, an incredible episode. I'm, I'm so glad I, I got to talk to you and I would, I would love to have you come back my show or the meditation center. I'm sure a lot of, a lot of people are going to be raving about it. So th well, thank I you very it much. Was helpful. I really enjoyed. Thank you for having me on. And I hope everybody has great holidays and everybody stays well and stays out of fear and into love. Absolutely. Out of fear and into love. That's right. Uh, thank you, Joe. And thank you, everyone, for watching. Okay. Good night, everybody. All right. Bye. Bye.